All right, so here, here's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, those of y'all know that today we were supposed to start a, a series uh, that I've been really wanting to do, um, a topical one on just the subject of how to respond to depression. What are the scriptural categories for that? How do you know it? Like, like what, how do you disciple somebody? How do, what about yourself? How do you respond to that? What are unhelpful things that we're being told uh, by a secular culture um, what are we being told by immeasurable pop psychology? But we're not going to start that today. It's not the time for that. Um, as I've been kind of praying this week and seeking the Lord, um, you know what, what What I do sometimes, even in my discipleship, is sometimes you just got to get back to some basics. And we're going to talk about a basic today. And that basic is just trusting God when everything looks kind of hard. Like how to trust God. So we're just going to talk about that real simple idea of trusting God um, because, you know, that's what's going to kind of hit our soul here for a while, is being able to trust Him. Um, so as we are rejoicing, as we are um, grieving in hope, uh, there's going to come times in our soul where we're asking questions and we're saying whys. And like I said yesterday, I don't know all the whys, but I know why. But I can tell you this, um, this is an opportunity for me to continue to increase my trust in God. It's an opportunity for uh, Danny and for the boys and for the whole family uh, to trust God. It's, it's an opportunity for us. And here's what I know. God in his goodness does what is best. God in his love wills what is best. God in his wisdom knows what is best. And God in his sovereignty has the power to bring it about. So when, when, when we go through difficulties like we're in right now, the, the biggest thing you can do is, I've said it a couple times, when you can't trace his hand, you don't know what he's doing, trust his heart. And so what I'm trying to do today is to kind of give you the heart of what God is, that he is sovereign, wise, he is love, and he is good. And so sometimes in the midst of this, it's just a good reminder to our soul as we as we grow to trust Him. And the stronger our trust is, this is where the healing really happens. In fact, just in my own discipleship counseling, when a person is really struggling with the difficulties of life, when they have an unflinching trust that God is sovereign, wise, good, and loving, that's really the point when there's really not much I can still do with them anymore. Like, they're actually better. They're actually not saying everything's Great, but it's saying that they're actually able to absorb and understand the impact and just trust God through this. So God in his goodness does what is best. God in his love wills what is best. God in his wisdom knows what is best. And God in his sovereignty has the power to bring it about. Okay, y'all with me on this? Y'all understand where we're going? There's an outline on the very back of your uh, of the page. It was probably in your seat, and I just kind of tracked through these four ideas. First, I want to start off with God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Now, this word sovereign, that's a big word. But basically what this word means is God has all power. He has all power. He has all control. He has all power. He has all control. He's sovereign. Okay, there's nothing that God cannot do that he wants to do. Okay, God does everything he wants to do. He is sovereign. Now, here's the, the, the hard part. When it comes to God's sovereignty, a lot of times what we think is, God is only sovereign when things are good, but God is not sovereign when things are bad. But the truth is, friends, that's not true. God is sovereign over both situations. The Lamenter in Lamentations 3, 37 and 38 said this. 
Who is he that saith and it comes to pass when the Lord has commanded it? Out of the most high, out of God's, out of God, the most high does not proceed forth bad and good. So here's the thing we do. We often attribute the good things in life to God and the bad things we contribute simply to nature, luck, or the devil. Now, I'm not going to deal with nature or luck because, you know, nature does not actually control anything. And luck, there's no such thing as luck. Okay, just so just so you know, um, doesn't exist. So you can go ahead and take your foot and drag it upon any white chalk line on any ball field that exists out there and it's not going to change the outcome of that game whatsoever okay no such thing now what happens sometimes is we attribute a lot of things to the devil now let me tell you the devil does do bad things um but not all bad but god is uh, but satan is not sovereign over all bad things he does bad things But he doesn't do all bad things. He doesn't have that much sovereignty and power and control. Satan is very limited. Now, here's what we don't want to do. We don't want to give Satan no credit, but we don't want to give Satan too much credit. Now, this is what happens when you start talking about God's sovereignty. When our when our understanding of it is not right, we give Satan way too much credit. When it's not right, we give him no credit at all. So I I want to tell you. All good, all bad is under the sovereign rule and power of God. There are times where God allows Satan to do bad and impact our life. There are times. And to be honest with you, sometimes it's hard to know that. It honestly is hard to know that. But here's what we can know. When we we can't trace his hand, we can trust his heart. And that anything that God allowed, anything that God permitted, anything that God gave Satan permission to do, Satan is just a pawn in God's uh, sovereign hand, okay? Satan is not some bishop that can float around the board and do whatever he wants. He's a pawn for God's goodness. He's He's a pawn to do his bidding. We see this all through the scripture. Even what people would say to me sometimes would say, okay, so good and bad, but what about life and death? Like Nick, like, like death, life comes from Jesus. Life comes from God. Death only comes from Satan. And I would say, no, friend, I actually can't, I can't, I can't take you there. I can't say that. Now, what I can say is this, that Satan can have an impact in death. Satan can be released by God to cause death. At the same time, I see evidence in scripture that sometimes Satan is not even involved in death and that it's, it's from God's hand. And sometimes I don't know how to tell the difference. Like sometimes I just don't know. But here's what I do know. God does rule over all that. And that nothing happens that is not according to his plan. And for some people, they don't like that. That hurts them. And I'll tell you honestly, the reason it hurts is because a lot of times we are trying to make God in our image. We're trying to make God seem like what we think he should be. When he's already spoken in his word and said what he's like. So what we do is we submit to it. And where we can't trace his hand and understand it, we trust his heart. And this is why the cross is so sufficient for our lives. Because this is how I know he actually loves me. This is how I have no doubt. How do I know that God would give everything up to love me and take care of me and do right by me? He would give his own son in my place. That's how I know he would give him up for me. Now, some people would say, so, so only like, for instance, I've had people quote to me and say like, well, you know, the devil, he's come to steal, kill and destroy. Now, listen, Satan does do that. Just a side note in the context of John 10, when that's spoken of, that's actually not addressing the devil. It's addressing the false teachers of Israel. So in context, that, that's not true. Now, in general theory, yeah, that's true. 
Satan is a murderer. And even when you look at Job chapter 2, you can discover... Actually, you can look over there here real quick if you want just a couple texts. Some texts I'm going to quote to you. Some texts we'll look at. I'll show you in Job 2. Some people would say... I want to show you an example that he... Satan actually doesn't have this unlimited power and control. Does he want to steal, kill, and destroy? Yes, he actually does. Does he, in in Hebrews 2, have the power of death? Yes, but everything he has is delegated. Nothing is under his complete control. You even find this, that Satan wants to destroy Job. And in chapter 2, verse 6, Satan is wanting to touch his hand and put his hand on Job. We'll look at verse 4 of Job 2, 4. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, all that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch, stretch out your hand and touch his bone and flesh. And he will cause you, um, and he will curse you to your face. Okay, this is Job 2, 4, now we're in 5. Now notice this. Satan's asking Telling God to do something, right? He says, touch his flesh, touch his bone, and he'll curse you. So even Satan is realizing that ultimately everything comes from God's hand. But God gives him permission. The Lord said to Satan, behold, he's in your hand. Only spare his life. Which just tells you this. That 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 Satan could only do what to Job, what God had in the end authorized him under his sovereign hand to do. Even track back over here, look in verse 13 of Job 1. There's all these calamities that kind of start off happening. Look in verse 13. Now there was a day when the sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their elder brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing, the donkeys were feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans fell upon them and took and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. So... Oxen, donkeys, servants, gone. And the Sabaeans actually had murdered them. Now, in this instance, you could clearly say that... Because we see earlier in chapter 1, God had authorized Satan and given him the ability to touch and do some things to Job and Job's family and his prosperity. But yet he said, don't put your hand on Job at this particular point. So we find more than likely Satan influencing these Sabaeans. So we see that. We can know that from the context. Now look at verse 16. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven, burned up the sheets, and the servants consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Now, what's interesting is this. Do you think Satan has the control of the fire of God? Yeah, that's kind of a hard one, right? Now, here's the deal. Nowhere else in the scripture do I see that Satan can control weather. Whatever kind of fire of God that came down. I, I see nowhere else in scripture to justify such a thing. I, so I would tell you this. But I do see in the context Satan is released in chapter 1 to put his hand on Job's posterity and prosperity. And, and that, go, that God says yes, but don't put your hand on Job at this point. And then some cataclysms start happening. Now, in the end... I want you to understand, if Satan got to have control and access to weather, which theologically I'm not so sure, but I can't put it in the realm of an if. If God if if God decides to give Satan a moment in time to have some kind of impact on weather, there's nothing prohibiting God from doing such thing. I'm just saying Satan does that have that kind of float about the board bishop kind of ability. But yet we see here, fire fell from heaven, burned up the sheep, the servants consumed them. And I alone have escaped. So whether this was God or, or Satan or Satan doing it, 
because God was allowing him at the moment to have access to kind of weather. Look in verse 17. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made the raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Now, by the way, once again, these Chaldeans and Sabaeans, they did some problems. We understand Satan can really maneuver and move people. But yet, look in verse 18. And while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating, drinking wine in the elder brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. What are we dealing with here? Not Satan maneuvering people, but once again, some kind of weather. Now, I I propose to you that I'm not so sure that Satan actually had control of this weather, but it's not outside the realm of possibility. So it could be a big if, 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 if. But I want you to see what Job says. Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell on the ground. He worshipped. We've been doing a lot of that, haven't we? Verse 21, naked came out from my mother's womb, naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. But blessed be his name. You see Job mourning and hope here. But in the end, when you battle it all down, no matter what Satan had in here, who's he saying had complete sovereign control of this whole situation? The Lord. Now listen, when we go through difficult times like this, it's tough because everybody will want to pin it all on Satan that he has he's some kind of masterful king, but he's not. Okay? So trusting God is, is key when we understand that he has the power to do anything he wants to. And, and when we can trust that in the back of everything, when it's hard to trace his hand of the why, we can trust his heart and be like Job. The Lord is given. The Lord's taken away. I don't get it. I don't understand. But blessed be his name. Our souls respond to the cataclysm of difficulties of life so much better. So much better. So I'll tell you this. Trusting God for our soul is just, this is a time to renew our, our thoughts about God's sovereignty, that He's in control of this whole entire thing. I'm not. And that in the midst of it, here's the deal some people would go, like, okay, well, okay, He's in control of everything. Well, how do I know I can lack that control? Well, hang on, there's some more points, okay? Like, we still got some more to talk about. But he's in control of all. In fact, um, you don't have to turn there, but when Jesus was being examined by Pilate, Pilate says to Jesus, "Speak! you're not speaking to me? Don't you know that I have the power to crucify you and I have the power to release you? Pilate, in his powerful position uh, before Jesus went to the cross, was letting him know, like, I can control this whole thing. I can set you free. Jesus corrects him in John 19 and says, uh, sorry, Pilate. You could have no power against me except it were given thee from above. Okay? So even Jesus set Pilate, sets Pilate straight and say, any authority you have has just been delegated. Like, it, it is not under your purview. It is all underneath God's sovereign hand of authority. So God in his sovereignty has the power to bring anything about. God in his goodness does what is best. God in his love wills what is best. God in his wisdom knows what is best. And God is in sovereignty, has the power to bring it about. So God is sovereign. He's over it. Now, here's, here's the next part. If we're going to say God is sovereign, we've, always, we've got to lay some things uh, inside of that sovereignty for us to be able to trust him still. So it's not just enough to go, God is over and is in control and has all power. That's good. We need to lace it up with some other things so that we can rightly trust his sovereignty. So B, number two on your outline 
It says that God is wise. God is wise. So we can, we, we, we can come to his sovereignty when we know that he's wise. In his wisdom, God always does what is best. Now, that doesn't mean sometimes that we, can disagree, that we don't disagree. You read the book of Lamentations as I took you through it a couple years ago when we studied through it. I mean, lamenting is saying, Lord, I disagree with this, but I trust you. I mean, that's lamenting. Like, we are the only people that know how to lament. We can lament in a holy way where we can say, like, God, I disagree with this, but I trust you. In his wisdom, we know that he always does what is best. Romans eleven thirty three says, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Like, listen, I... I wish I knew all that God was doing in this. I wish I knew. I wish I could walk over to Danny this morning and just give him a list of 50 things that God is going to be doing. I feel like I can give a list of a couple things. I feel like, I feel like I've seen some wise, but I don't know the whole entire thing yet. I just don't have that much wisdom. It's, and it, at 40 years old, I'm, I'm, I'm sure of that more than I've ever been before. Now, when I was 18, I actually thought I knew a lot more. I mean, I think we just so, you know, just, if you're in the age of like 18 to like 24, um, you don't know what you think you know, okay? I know you think you know more than what your parents have told you. I, think you, I know you think you've got it all figured out. I know you see people in a restaurant, you see their kids acting up, and you're thinking to yourself like, yeah, if they just whipped them enough, my kids will never act like that. Like, yeah, someday I want to watch you just ball up when your kids go crazy, and, and you're going to, I'm just telling you, I'm going to laugh, okay? So, yeah. You think you know what's going on. Look at John 9. I want to submit to you that our wisdom is not complete. We don't completely understand everything. That's why I tell you, when you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. So in John 9, I think this is a great explanation of trusting God's wisdom over man's wisdom. Man's wisdom does not see everything completely. God sees the end from the beginning. We don't. We're very finite. He's infinite. In John 9, in verse 1 through 3, I think this is a great example. So Jesus is, is, is passing by. He sees a blind man from birth. And, and look what happens. In verse chapter 9, verse 1. As he passed by Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. So this guy's blind from the very beginning. His disciples asked him and said, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So what you see here is man's wisdom, not God's wisdom. Man's wisdom says, okay, hmm, everything in life is two plus two equals four. But that's not how God's wisdom always works. Like with God's wisdom, like two plus two could equal a hundred. I mean, like it, it doesn't always completely add up. So in man's human wisdom, from their reasoning, they said, aha, karma only if bad things happen, it's because you did something bad. So this man, should, this man sinned or his parents sinned. Like, which was the two? Now, in their mind, in their wisdom, there was no other third or fourth or fifth category. It just existed in their mind of the two things. And, of course, it, it, just when we boil it down to, sometimes man's wisdom is just ridiculous. Because their first proposition was... This man sinned as little as, as little baby in his mother's womb is just actively transgressing. Now listen, we know that a baby by nature even is considered a sinner, but there's no active sinning that's happening by a baby in the womb. I mean, I don't know when the, like, the, the baby's like punching the mom's rib cage. I don't know if that quite qualifies for something or is, or, or is, you know, 
punting the, uh, the mom's bladder. I don't think that qualifies. So he says, they say, oh, he sinned while he was in his mommy's tummy, which is just ridiculous. And then he says, oh, no, his parents sinned. His parents sinned. They were born blind. They must have done something bad, which, once again, is bad theology. And Jesus says, I wish I, wish I had more or wish I could think the thoughts of Jesus. He's a lot more holy than I am, so he probably wouldn't have. But I'm just in the back of my mind, I'm thinking he's just saying, like, you're idiots. Okay, you're just straight up idiots. But he has a much more be- better answer. Jesus answered and said, it's not that this man sinned or his parents sinned. What he's basically saying is, your human wisdom is wrong. Look at your neighbor and just say this. Sometimes you're wrong. Sometimes you're wrong. You, you may be able to look at your neighbor and say, a lot of times you're wrong. It just depends on your situation. But I'm not on the clock for that right now. Okay? So that's later. Call me. We can talk more. And I can help that situation. He said, No. Like you go, you're wrong, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So God could be glorified, that God could show forth his goodness and grace. Like God's doing something more than what your finite, puny, very small kind of wisdom mind can understand. He's doing much more. I love this story because this teaches me that sometimes when I come to some conclusions, I need to hold very tentative because God has something much bigger than he's doing. So this is how I grow my trust in God. He is sovereign and he is all wise. And although I don't know all that he's doing, I do know this. All that he does is the best. He always does what is best. That's his wisdom. God in his goodness does what is best. God in his love wills what is best. God in his wisdom, he knows what is best. God in his sovereignty has the power to bring it out. Now next is this, number three, God is love. Y'all still with me? God is love. We'll trust God when we know that he's sovereign, when we know that he is wise, when we know that he is love. John 4, 7, God is love. John four nineteen. we love him because he first loved us. Love is something that God knows. Just so you know this, God has been practicing love from all eternity past. Before he ever created us, he was doing love. This is why the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit is so important to our belief system because this shows us that God has been doing relationship way before we ever came along. And Jesus says himself in John 17, he says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundations of the earth. So Jesus is saying, Father God, you're displaying love to me in eternity past. And then Jesus walks over in John 14 and says, but I do as the Father commanded me that the world may know that I love the Father. So we see this idea of even in eternity past, Jesus and the Father loving each other, this love within the Trinity. We still see it active in Jesus' ministry. So I'm just telling you this. God is really good at loving And in love, he's always doing what's best. In wisdom, he always knows what is best. In his sovereignty, he always has the power to bring it about. But plus, if you're just kind of like, okay, fine, I get the Trinity. God loves, has been loving each other, been doing relationship, been doing right by each other before we ever came along. You still have the work of the cross as your justification. I love Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Get this, friends, get this. He showed his love. I'm not, when when we talk about God's love, it's not this kind of flimsy, like there's no evidence, there's no backing behind it. We have all the justification to say it. 
The life, death, burial, resurrection is my justification. This is why when I can't trace his hand, I can trust his heart. This is why I can keep going back to the cross. This is why there will never be a point in this church, as long as God allows this church to be a church, that we will stop talking about the work of the cross. In fact, if we ever stop talking about the work of the cross, I give God permission, although he obviously doesn't need it, to just shut the whole thing down, close it, and bulldoze the thing and move on, right? Because the work of the cross is our justification for knowing this. God is love. So God in his goodness does what is best. God in his love wills what is best. God in his wisdom knows what is best. And God in his sovereignty has the power to bring it about. And the last is this, number four. God is good. God is good. So here's the thing. There is no higher standard of goodness than God, his own character, and an approval of what happens. James 1.17 tells us every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And here's what's interesting. You even look in, 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 I mean, that's the character of God. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. But even, here's the deal. I, I know I'm an evil person, but even as an evil person, I can actually do good. How much more God who is in perfection can do better good than I ever thought about doing? I love Matthew seven eleven. It says, if you then, who are evil, talking about us, know how to give good gifts to your children... I know how to give good gifts to my own children. How much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? This is the character of God. I mean, listen, as a parent, you always want to give what's good to your kids. I mean, I I still, I've been in ministry over 20 years now. It's going to be going on 21 pretty soon. I've been to many hospitals after many births with many parents. I have yet to have one parent get that baby on their arms and say, I can't wait to screw this kid up. Like, it's not happened yet. Like, everybody wants to do the most good for this kid that they can, no matter how broken they are, where they're at. They, there genuinely is that desire in there. How much more with God, who is a perfect heavenly father? Everything he does is good. There's not even a trace of the curse with him. That's why there's verses like Romans eight twenty eight that says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. So then people say, then what about the bad things? What am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to call bad situations good? No, you don't have to call bad situations good. You can say a situation is bad and still say God is good. Like Now, I know that seems like a contradiction, but it's really not. It's just me admitting that I'm finite and I can't see the whole entire scale, but I'm okay with the tension that exists behind there. And someday when I get to glory, I'm sure that Jesus is going to help me out a little bit with that. And so I'm okay at this point saying I disagree, but I trust you and know that you are good. But I will tell you this, even when this is why we could say, I don't know why, but I know why. Because God is always working good as a result of all this pain that has been experienced within our family. This there is this pain is going to result in more good. I've already seen it and I will see more of it. And once again, my justification is the cross, because when you look at the cross, that was very bad. Even to the disciples at the time, it was very bad. How do I know to the disciples it was bad? Because they scattered out. If they thought it was good, they would have hung around. It wasn't till later on that it was revealed that it was good. So even with us, when we see bad things, we don't have to say that they're good. But, but we can trust God in the midst of it saying, ultimately, this will work out for your good. Your name will be glorified. Much will be made of your name. I can't trace it. 
but I can trust it. I don't know what your hand is doing, but I know what your heart is doing. And Romans 8.31 is my justification. It says, how then shall we say, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? How much does God, how much good does God have for us? So much good that it says in verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? How do we know God's goodness is actually for us in the end? How do we know his goodness is good for us? The cross. The fact that he would not hold back his son. When I'm saying hold back his son, don't think it's just death. Like God poured out his wrath on Jesus in our place. Like how much good does God have for us? So much so that he wouldn't hold back his son. He wouldn't hold back what was going against his son. So that we could have forgiveness, eternal life, and know that everything God is doing in our life is for the best. Now listen. These are just truths that help us get to this idea of trusting God. And, and, and here's the deal. Um, <clears throat> I, I've, so this past year, been been working out a lot, um, like with weights and stuff, and just trying to like build some kind of muscle, because I hear that like when you hit 40, it just all goes downhill. I don't know if that's true or not. That probably made you discouraged this morning, me just saying that, right? And so, uh, but here's what I do know. There have been a couple times where I had to take a week off or, or, or three or four days. And I noticed when you get back in the weight room, it's like you're just not as strong as what you were the day before. You know, there's this it's like this constant thing. You have to keep working and working and reminding and reminding and working and working, and reminding, and reminding. Like if you ever just take your hand off the weights, you, you start to get weak. Now, now, here's the thing with trusting God. You can have a strong season of trusting God, then go right into the pit of it. And going through what what's going on in our climate, what can happen is there's a strong trust in God, and then you can go down. You get this, right? So here's what we've got to do. We've got to get into the weight room and go, okay, God, I'm going to take a new look at it. I'm going to remind myself that you're sovereign, you're wise, you're love, and that you're good. That God in his goodness, you are always doing what is best. God, in his love, he's always willing what's best. God, in his wisdom, always knows what is best. And God, in his sovereignty, he has the power to bring it about. And if we can just remind ourselves of that truth, we'll just keep, that'll keep us in the weight room of life and keep our soul where it should be. And will keep us, as we grieve, to keep grieving in hope. You get me what I'm saying? When you can't trust his hand, when you can't, Trace his hand, trust his heart. So Tyler, uh, worship team is going to come up here. And Tyler and Cindy uh, have a song they want to sing for our souls this morning. Um, Tyler actually wrote this song um, recently. And um, it's so, he sent it to us this week. And Cindy and I listened to it in the car as we were going back and forth to, uh, between Srinivas and the Kudre family one time. I remember hearing this and just thought, you know, this this helps us. Um, let's let's listen to this. And so um, Tyler wrote this. So uh, it's like the Lord's sovereign hand just kind of put it in our in our in our laps at this season. So they're going to sing this, and then we're going to praise the Lord together. And you remember this: as as time keeps going on, um, loving on Danny and the kids is going to be essential. And as the weeks and months and years progress, 
they're going to need our love. When, they, when we meet together, you're hugging their neck. When, when there's time together with your family, man, you're calling. Um, and by the way, Kudre family, you don't have to accept every invitation. <laughs> so I'll say this to you this. When invitations come, because we're trying to tell people not to forget, if, if you're tired that evening, you can say no. And can everybody, everybody say this, I promise I won't be offended. See, there you go, all right? No explanation made. You can just say not tonight, and none of us will be hurt by it. But you make sure there's times, there's nothing wrong with you. Here's the thing that happens in the midst of these kind of things. People will go like, oh, man, I just, I don't want to bother them. I just, you know, and I get that. I mean, there's, but as long as you're sensitive to that, then, then you won't do anything wrong. So, like, like, it's okay to reach out. And I'm giving you permission right now, reach out. But they can always just say no, and no one's going to be offended. There's going to come days and months and time where, where you know, there's just, it will just be good to say, hey, Danny, you want some sushi? You know? That's what he likes, okay? Or um, that your family is going to do something, and and you might call up and say, "Hey, hey, you know, Zach and Cole, y'all want to y'all want to come with us? We're, we're taking the kids to the movies tonight. You know, um, do you want to see? Um, you want to see another Marvel uh, another Marvel movie? Although we're just like all sick of them by this point, I'm sure. You know, like whatever. <laughs> no, like how dare you take that back, preacher? <laughs> Shut your mouth. <laughs> I probably got that from my daughter too right now. She loves them. All right. Would you listen in here? Let our souls uh, just have some time to keep trusting in God and we'll praise the Lord together and keep loving each other. Love you. Love you, church body. Let's worship together.